Lord God, you are a generous God. You're generous with your love and your mercy and your grace, and for that we are grateful. We praise your name. We lift your name on high. And Lord Jesus, as you would send your spirit to be with us as we open your word, which is forever true, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and into our lives in your name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Did you have to shovel out to get here? Some of you anyway? All right. We are so blessed. My grandfather used to say to me, Nicholas, he had a really deep voice. I wasn't blessed with his voice. Nicholas, he would say, I can't even do it. Nicholas, count your blessings. Name them one by one. He used to think about, what does that mean? It's actually from him. Name them one by one. If, if you were to count your blessings right now, I mean, be specific. You have some things to, to count? Yeah? Yeah? Especially you at home who didn't have to drive here? Yeah? Count your blessings. I want us to think about that today. God's generosity towards us and what that means for us. We're going to talk about that theme, as you know, Kira covered that in the children's sermon, and we're going to speak to this parable. It's found in Luke chapter 12, 13 through 21. I'm going to go through it as well. little background, though. Jesus is teaching a big crowd of people, and it's in the middle of his teaching that he's interrupted by a man who wants Jesus to settle a dispute or a fight over his estate. Money. Nothing's changed, right? Still fighting over the same things these days as they were in Jesus' day. Nothing different these days. I want you to look at Jesus' response to what this man asked him. We're going to start, though, in verse 13. You ready? No, really? Okay, thank you. Someone in the crowd said, Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Sounds fair. It was culture, of course, to give the firstborn son all of the family inheritance in Jesus' day. Also, common for people to go to a religious leader for matters of counsel in these areas. Jesus was a rabbi. He had authority. The guy is probably thinking, he'll likely take my side. This guy seems fair, right? And, and so maybe his authority will allow me to settle the score with my Brother, well, what was Jesus' response? We see this in verse 14. But he said to a man, how do you think he said that? Man, man. You think he was like annoyed? Man. I don't know. But he said to a man, who, who make, made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, now he's turning to the whole crowd, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Say it with me, covetousness. I bet you can't. It took me all week to figure this out. It's all I did. <laughs> Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. If you're counting, it's, it's not a number. You don't, you don't reach a number one day and then, and then you're good. But that's kind of how we treat it. I wonder if this man was satisfied with this answer. Verse 16, then Jesus goes on. He takes a teaching moment and he takes it to another level. Love it. And, and he told them a parable saying, the, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. He had a good, good harvest, good season. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Hmm. 
And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build large ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Think about that for a second yourself. If you die tonight, if you die this afternoon, you at home are fine. You don't have to drive home. <laughs> but, but seriously, where will your stuff go? So is the one, verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. To understand this parable first, we have to understand what it's not saying. Jesus is not saying, live a boring life. Relax. Live a, live a boring life. Don't have any fun. He's not saying material possessions and even wealth condemn you to hell. It's not what he's saying. Instead, verse 19 gives us a clue. Look at verse 19. And I will say to my soul, this is like, this is like the conscience is what he's really saying. This is his thinking. Soul, we don't really say that soul, but we're not like that. This is just in his conscience. So you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Many a song written about this parable. It's his mindset. It's his mindset. Finally, I get to live my life. Everything I've been working for, finally, I have arrived. Soul, you finally got what you work for. Have fun, sit back for the rest of your long, long, long life. You'll be fine. I used to work with a guy before I went into ministry who was born into a, a very wealthy a suburban Chicago home in Evanston, Illinois. And, and it was around age 30 or so that his, both of his parents died. Really sad story. He said in that moment, as we were talking one day at work, he said, he said I, just, I, I, was, I was grieving, and I, I, just had this, I, I just had this moment of, I want to check out. And I just don't want to be here. I want to I check out. I don't want to have any stress. I don't want to have any care in the world. And, and so literally what he did after he had got this pile of cash in the home that they had given him in, in, in his inheritance... He said, I, I just checked out. I, I just started to drink my life away. And, and, and soon, I couldn't pay the bills, so I stopped paying the bills. I remember him specifically saying to me, that wasn't a good decision. <laughs> Don't stop paying your bills. He actually said that to me. I said, point well taken. And, and then he said, and, and I just began to go down, down, down into a greater hole. Soon, the house was foreclosed, the cash was gone, and he was at rock bottom. He actually came to Minneapolis, and it was why he was working up here, to go to Teen Challenge. I didn't even know what Teen Challenge at that time was. And he turned his life around. He got a job. That's why we were working together. He turned his life around. He gave his life to Christ. An incredible story as he was relaying to me what he did. But the reason I bring that up in this conversation is because here was a guy who truly believed that in the moment, because of what he had, is what he had. He could just check out of life. Now, you might not make the same choice as he did. 
I, I don't know your story, but you may have never made choices like that. But here's, here's what I want us to consider as we're really just getting started today. If you're wondering, does this section of Scripture relate to me? Or, or where do I find myself in the story, although the point is to find Jesus and the gospel in the story? I want us to realize today that this is, this is us. This parable is America. This parable is me. This is us. This message speaks into our life. Jesus, we'll start here, chooses indirect communication. He's doing something here. There's a reason why he says, who makes me your arbitrator? He's using indirect communication to challenge a dominant way of thinking in his day. Has anything changed today? They were dealing with the same things we are dealing today. If anything, we are much more materialistic. But then again, nothing is new under the sun, the Bible tells us. The parable is referencing the man's life goals and future plans. The rich fool planned to invest his money in himself, not God. No interest in the kingdom. The rich fool planned to retire and spend the rest of his life eating, drinking, and gratifying his carnal desires. Nothing for the kingdom. God was not included in the man's plans. And security, he thought, security comes through investment. Sound like anyone we know. <laughs> yes, it speaks into our life. I like what commentator Herbert Lockyer says on this particular parable. He wrote a great book on the parables of Jesus. He says this, To think of life only in terms of things is both foolish and fatal. And, and he's not being dramatic here. He's serious. If you've reduced your life to think it's about the abundance of things, then you've reduced your life. Why? Because he goes on to say, life is not held together by material possessions, even if they're abundant, but by the things that are spiritual and eternal. Again, if you're living according to the value system of the world, which reduces your life to being about material things, it will only prove to be Foolish and fatal because the very things that we think will cause us to be at peace, no worries, no cares, are actually the things that cause us to worry the most. Right? Do you agree? No? None of you? Well, that's what the Bible says. <laughs> I knew a girl back in college who, uh, when she packed to come to school, she told me that she couldn't bring her 120 pairs of jeans with. She actually said that to me. And I said, I have like one. No. And, and she said, I could only bring 70 blue jeans, that is. And, and she said, I'm beginning to see how materialistic I am. I was like, yeah, I'm glad you're noticing that. <laughs> anyway, but, but I bring her up, not to rip her, but, but just to say this, I've never known anyone who cared more and worried more about what she wore. And yet she seemed to have everything. The, the point is clear. Jesus goes on to say in verse 22, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Don't reduce your life. And yet we do it. Don't reduce 
your life. Something that we have to hear on a regular basis. It's how Jesus sums up the parable. Look at verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself. Not so much about what you have. Not about how much. It's about the heart. So is the one who lays up treasure for self and is not rich towards God. Now, if you're wondering what that means, that's what this sermon is about. Rich towards God. What does that, what does that mean? The term rich here means, as you can imagine, it means to make wealthy, be generous, to bless, to enrich. So the phrase means being generous to God. If you get anything today, get this point. <laughs> the man who came to Jesus with the dispute could only see Jesus as an earthly arbitrator. His request shows us his mindset, as I said before. He's standing before the Savior of the world. Think about this. Jesus is standing in front of him. And all he can think about is his inheritance. You know, he's sitting there as Jesus is preaching. Jesus. And all he's thinking about is the family problems. He's daydreaming and he thinks, well, this kind of relates, so maybe he can settle my score for me. Of course, that's backwards. Because money is certainly liable to lie to us. That's what money can do. This is, again, backwards. Jesus is reshaping our view of things. See, we covet. This is how it's all related. You heard this in the children's sermon as well. How does this relate to coveting? Well, we covet, we want stuff that's not ours because we place things of really, in really high value, we'll just say. That's, that's what we do. That's who we are. That is a part of the culture that we live in. And to want is not bad. That's not the point. It's what we want and why we want it and the priority of it that matters here. See, God has not given us stuff, church, Listen, God has not given us stuff so that we could harbor it for ourselves. In other words, he hasn't given it to us, for us in that sense. Rather, he blesses so we can be a blessing. Think about this question. What do you adore? It really relates to what we're talking about today. What do you love and adore? Think about that for a second. You know, when my kids come up, and they're here, they can tell you. Uh, when my kids come up to me and they ask me, I can be stingy, but when they ask me, Dad, could I have a couple of bucks, bucks to go to the store? I, I want to give it to them. Don't judge me. I don't spoil them for the most part. But, but I have no problem giving them what they ask for. In fact, I want to do it. Sometimes I don't do it, but I always want to do it. And my wife... She's here too, she can tell you. <laughs> she takes it to a whole new level. Love you, honey. Like seriously, she loves Christmas and birthdays more than the kids love Christmas and birthdays. And, and it's funny because sometimes, you, you know this is true, she say, what's the budget this year for birthdays? And I'll be like, 20 bucks? <laughs> Why? And, and then she'll go and not follow it every single time. <laughs> and I love it. I absolutely love it. Why? She loves the moment when they open the gift, right? 
She loves that moment when they see what they've gotten, right? She loves it more than they love it. Why? Because she adores them. We adore them. The point obviously here is that this is a good thing, but what we are generous to is what we value. But Jesus is pointing something out. He's pointing out that true generosity is not material. Instead, it starts with valuing God. Because true generosity comes from God. How does, how does God love us? Consider how God loves when he gives, he gives generously. When he gave his son, he offered his life, the sacrifice for our sins, a final death that had to be paid, and he paid it for us in full. Think about that generosity. He is generous in his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness, and if we were to count our blessings, we would go on for eternity, and one day we will. But that is the generosity of God. That is true generosity which only comes from him. But how do we love? For the most part, we love if we get something in return. It's opposite in God's kingdom. This is why it starts with a heart that treasures and adores God above all things. A heart that seeks to worship and praise and adore him above all things. Just as an example, just take what we're doing right here. You can glorify God in everything you do. Absolutely every step you take. But, but just consider what we're doing just here right now. Is God worthy of the worship and the praise in the prayer? Yeah? Does he desire that we seek him in prayer and grow in relationship with him? And what begins to happen when we do that, when we take part, especially corporately, something that we cannot overlook? Because if there has been a year that we have been, you know, taken away from it, right, and have been separated in that sense, it would be this year, right? And, and we've seen how important fellowship is to us, but what does God do in that? He helps us grow in our understanding that treasure isn't found in this world, but treasure is rather found in him, in his son. See, what Jesus is really saying here is the treasure is me. And this is what the guy doesn't get. That's why we should honor him in everything. And why when it comes to worship, it's not just sing-song time. No, we lift up our hands and our voices in praise and prayer. Because there's no greater thing to do than lift up his name out loud together. Going to him. And you know what? The thing is, when we do that, we are always changed. Believe me. I've been thinking about this. And, 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 and just the biblical truth that this is. When you go to God, when you worship God, when you seek him in prayer, you are always changed. Always, if your heart is open. I'm reading a book right now about a guy who travels most of the world by bike. 
So he, he bikes 30,000 miles across continents, and, and he records in this book his travels, but also the cultures that he is traveling through. And, and on one occasion in the book, he records his travels through South Korea. Really fascinating. And, and as he goes about his way, he camps sometimes just on the side of roads and stuff because he's got a small budget. But sometimes he stays with people. People he didn't know before it, but, but people who will take him into their home. And on one occasion, he records in South Korea, the secular writer, coming into the home of some Christians. And it just so happens to be Sunday, and so they take him to church, and he goes gladly with them. And here's what he observes of the South Korean church that they're attending. 16,000 people, seven services, every seat filled up. And he records in the book, that's not like London, where I'm from. No, not where I'm from too, right? 16,000 people who can't wait to get to church. Then he records what he experienced at church with them. There are 70,000 members in this particular congregation. And he says, at the beginning of the service, everyone gets to their seats because they're excited. He said, and then a bell rings. They ring a bell really loud. And then he says, they begin to cry out to Jesus. And he said, it's so loud, it's deafening. He said, they're just praising and praying out loud. No, no music, no nothing, just, just praise and prayer going up to heaven. He said he was just blown away by it. And then he begins to record in this chapter why he thinks Christianity has grown in South Korea. And he begins to look at the cultural nuances, and sociologists have said this and this and this and this. And he goes on for at least a couple more pages talking about the cultural reasons for why Christianity is growing in South Korea. And then he closes the chapter with this. But if you ask someone from this church, do you know what they will tell you? They'll tell you it was prayer. Then he closes the chapter, seeking God. He says, if they didn't ring the bell again at the end of the prayer time, I don't think they would stop. What an impression it made on him, as he's writing this in the book, and what an impression it's made on me for reading it. Do we want that, church? Is Jesus really the treasure? Here is a land that is seeing revival because Jesus is the treasure. It always begins with generosity towards God. Do you see what I'm saying there? And here's the thing. It's so awesome. When we are generous to God, when we are rich towards God, We are rich towards one another. Think about this for a second. The man who came to Jesus with the dispute, he was on the verge of ruining his relationship with his brother over money. He treasured the family possessions over the family. Again, this is backwards thinking and yet normal practice in the kingdom of the world. But real kingdom living, Jesus is telling us, is relationship over resources. For God has given us resources to be a blessing. I love what 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19 says. 
It says they are, speaking of the church, believers in Christ, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Oh, that we would be a church that is generous, and I believe we are. I believe that one of the great blessings we have here is that we have a generous, generous people. But listen to this again. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, this is really key here, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. Are you seeing what I'm pointing out here? There is benefit to us. This isn't, well, you just... you just got to check out and, and, and not live, live this boring, you know, checked out life in order to be good to God. No, he's saying, no, there is benefit. There is, there is blessing in this. In fact, you will be rich to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, something that is lasting and eternal so that they may take hold of that which is, what does it say there? What does it say? Truly life. In other words, you're not really living until you're living like this. I wonder how often we put material over relationship. Like maybe every day? Maybe not maybe. I listed a couple of things, just just brought to mind a couple of ways or a couple of examples we do this. The, The first one that came to mind is stockpiling, stockpiling, hoarding, hoarding our time, money, possessions, when there are others in need. How much is too much? That's between you and God. You know, when we ask to give and give generously, we're not asking it for any benefit of ourselves, it's for the the kingdom of God. If if we're providing for others, will there be need is, is, is really the question. No, there will not be if we are providing for others within within the congregation. Hoarding. Another one that comes to mind, investing. Investing in our own personal time, money, and possessions, and neglecting our investment in people. See, the treasure is relationship here. Treasure is relationship. Or this one, treating personal relationship as transactional. Like a boss to an employee. Is that how we treat people? I will like you depending on what you do for me. And whether or not you do the job and do it right. Is that, is that, is that what we've reduced relationship to? I hope not, I pray not. It's such a contrary way to think than what Jesus shows us. See, he's he's showing us that the treasure is relationship. It's an awesome picture of what real life is about. I want us to see how this relates to everyday life. In in closing, I, I just want us to reflect for a moment how simple and how true and how not complicated it is Generosity towards God, it equals generosity towards each other. And that equals true living. And that equals generosity that leads to less anxiety and and worry. 
when we put God first, it means we treasure what should be treasured and we store up what should be stored up for, for eternity. It's not that complicated. I want to be a church that's known for being generous because that's where real living is. I want to be known as a church that seeks the Lord from their heart and is a picture of our good and gracious God who is generous with everything and that he laid down his life for us. What a story of the gospel, isn't it? That Jesus came down from heaven that humble that he would leave his throne and he would come and be among us. Why? So that he could give everything in order that we could have life in his name and that we could share with the world that God is a loving God, that he does care for us, that he is generous and that he cares for every single moment of our lives. What an awesome picture. As we uh, close in prayer, I I want you to stand just for a a moment and, and, and I think that be a reflection of our agreement that God is a generous God. Would you stand with me as I close in prayer? Because I want to dedicate this place and us to God in a way that would, would be that we would be committed to being generous with God's grace. I want to dedicate a moment or this time that we would be committed to seeking God in order that we would be a generous Church, And so as we would do this together, as I will certainly pray here, I would ask you to be praying with me in your heart. That God would make you generous where you have not been. That God would bless you in a, in, in a place where you have hoarded his grace and his, and his, his goodness and his blessing upon you. And, and that God would heal relationship that needs to be healed because we treated it transactionally and objectified people in that way. That is what I want to pray on behalf of us and dedicate this time to God as we go to him in prayer. And then we will respond appropriately in worship. Heavenly Father... You're a great God. Who abundantly blesses. Unfortunately, though, we we, we sing it out sometimes. But maybe we don't really realize the true meaning of it. Why? Because we covet. Because we treasure other things over you. Lord, I dedicate this moment in this place where we stand today to you that you would be our treasure that as we seek you we would grow in our understanding of what that means for our lives and how we live it out, God. Spirit of God, come boldly into this place and fill our minds with what we need to know about our own hearts and the struggles we have with coveting, materialism, hoarding. Lord, would we be a generous church, even more generous than before. 
for that is who you are. So Lord Jesus, do that work in my heart. Reframe my, my view of things here on earth. For you desire for this community to reflect the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of this earth. And in that, it is in that place that we will be an example of who you truly are. So Lord, do that now. As we respond in worship, continue to do that. As we come up after the service and, and you know, come up with our own concerns and needs and, and go to you in prayer in our prayer groups or as we go from here today, Go back home and reflect on some of these words that you've taught us, Lord. May you do that work in our hearts and lives. I pray this in the precious name of Jesus, who we adore. Amen.